Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is Phil Andrews, the new CEO at USA Fencing. If Andrews' name sounds familiar, it may be because he spent the last six years as CEO at another national governing body, USA Weightlifting. We'll be talking about his new role, the challenges and opportunities facing USA Fencing, and how the NGB is looking to partner with host cities on their events in the future. We even talk a little bit about lightsabers, so there's that to look forward to as well. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 22 will be held at the Oklahoma City Convention Center in Oklahoma City, October 24th through the 27th. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games and the annual board meeting of the National Council of Youth Sports. For more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Phil Andrews is credited with making multiple changes for the better over the decade of service that he had at USA Weightlifting, including the past six years as CEO and overseeing an elite team that at the Tokyo Olympics took home its first ever Olympic silver in women's weightlifting. Among his challenges at the governing body was a deep debate internationally over the future of the sport, one that very well may see weightlifting removed from the Olympic program in future years over concerns about their approach or lack thereof to doping at the international level. Andrews was a fighter for the anti-doping cause, an effort that he pushed as he also fought to expand the sport of weightlifting to the widest audience possible in the United States. In July, he was named CEO of USA Fencing, an organization that has had its own challenges in recent years, especially in areas surrounding safe sport. But it's an organization with an even larger membership than weightlifting, around 40,000 members compared to about 30,000, and one that produces some considerably sizable events, including its nationals, which were most recently held at the convention center in Minneapolis this summer. Andrews will spend the next few months on a listening tour among his new constituents, but before he does, he sat down with us to discuss his own history in the sport, the future of the NGB's events, its desires to partner more with potential host cities, and how in the world lightsabers may fit into the equation. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Phil Andrews, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I should actually say welcome back to the Sports Travel Podcast. You're one of our few guests that we've had return, although this conversation is going to be uh, markedly different than the last one we had when you were at USA Weightlifting. Congratulations to you, Phil, obviously taking over at USA Fencing, an entirely different sport, of course. But as we know, many of the NGBs uh, certainly have some of the same challenges, but also their own nuances when it comes to managing an organization and, and just the culture of the sport. So for starters, congratulations to you, Phil. Was excited to see your new role at fencing. And I thought we'd kind of start there. Uh, you know, Phil, you've been around the Olympic movement for a long time, obviously very successful in the work that you had specifically at USA Weightlifting. You must have come across fencing in some capacity. I'm just kind of curious for starters, what your familiarity and, and background uh, with the sport is. So, so fencing weirdly has, has been intertwined with my life at, at various different points and i was never a fencer i want to be clear but when the announcement went out we found out a new one which is apparently um my wife has a cousin who's a 1992 olympian in the sport and neither her nor i knew that how is that um, possible that that just came to your knowledge 
relatively distant cousins. So my, my wife has a lot of family in the northern New Jersey area, which is uh, sort of the, if you like, the hotbed and home of fencing is, is New York Metro and, and northern New Jersey areas. As it turns out, it's a fairly convoluted story, but uh, John Friedberg, who's a 1992 Olympian, married into a branch of my wife's family, which made them cousins, and I guess therefore now makes us cousins. So that made for an interesting conflict of interest declaration in my first week here. No doubt. Um, I have a cousin whom I have never met, um, <laughs> who owns a fencing club uh, and is an Olympian in, in northern New Jersey, Mercer County, uh, New Jersey, for, for anyone who knows the New Jersey area well. Okay. Uh, so uh, we're due to meet in November. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but will be know, quite course, a discussion, no doubt. It, it might be, and uh, you know, of course, I asked my father-in-law. Oh, did you know that? that um, do you know John Freeberg? Yes, I do. Do you know he's an Olympian in fencing? I did. That might have been relevant information to share as I was going through this process. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I've, I've also interestingly went to um, in my high school days. Uh, I spent most of my time at Settlements College in, in Hertfordshire in England, uh, but a little bit of time at a place named Brentwood School. Um, so I show up at our national championships in Minneapolis just over the July four weekend onwards, and I hear a familiar accent, and our, our high performance manager Caitlin introduces me to a gentleman named David who it turns out we're not only from the same small town, he was the coach at that school where I tried fencing. So we're not entirely sure, but we think he was in fact the guy who had me try fencing at, at that school. And no memory from him of uh, how well or, or how poorly you might have done at, at fencing? Well, I mean, poorly, you know that. Um, we, we've clearly established that, Jason, come on. But it, it, uh, here's the art in, in the sports business world. And if whether we like to admit it as sports business people or not, those who can't, they coach. And those who can't coach, they administrate. Yes, so, or, they, or, they, or they become journalists. So we're, we're in good company here. There you go. So it is, <laughs> that's how that works. We find a way to stay involved. But in any case, I, I know I wasn't terribly good. And here's how. And another small world USA fencing connection, myself and a guy called Mark Benetsky, uh, we worked on the uh, 2012 Olympics and Paralympics together. He had another role at the university outside the sports side. And he was a former national champion fencer. Um, and uh, a number of his uh, teammates are current fairly high-level coaches or club owners in USA Fencing. So he was uh, very uh, interested to hear my news and, and immediately got me connected with some of those people. But in the run-up to the Games, we did a cultural video because there is some surprising differences between British and American culture. And, of course, Mark being American was in that video, and he and I fenced. So we are still trying to get our hands on the video. We're hoping to find it, but uh, he kicks my butt in that uh, particular fair, uh, experience in fencing. So, but, you know, also USA Fencing. But there's a, a lot of colleagues that I've had come through USA Fencing that I've kept in touch with over the years. Most people who are listening to this podcast probably will know Christy Simmons. Sure. Um, Christy and I know of each other for many, many years. I may know Glenn Hollingworth, our current national events manager. Uh, I first came across Glenn this time, USA Field Hockey, and, and a number of others who I've been uh, associated with and friends with over the years. Um, it, it's always been an NGB I've admired from afar. And there's some very, very interesting, intelligent people in, in fencing. Uh, there's a, a large history in the Ivy League, uh, which you always imagine means you have alumnus members who are doctors, who are lawyers, who are high-level executives, and just very intelligent human beings 
I met a Paralympian, for example, who's our last um, Paralympic medalist in 04, actually from the Denver area, uh, much like Jason and myself, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and lives in, in Highlands Ranch. And he is by evening a Paralympic fencer. And by day, a rocket scientist. Okay. Um, literally. <laughs> so it's, um, and that sort of gives you a clue as to the type of, of people that we find in our membership here, which I, I personally find those types of conversations with someone like a, a Scott Rogers is his name. Very, very intriguing. And it is a slightly bigger NGP too. We have uh, just a shade short of 30,000 members in weightlifting. And here we're a shade short of 40,000, a slightly bigger staff. Uh, we have a Paralympic program. That's a new challenge for me. Um, we did not have a Paralympic program. We did have adaptive weightlifting. We did not have a para program in USA weightlifting. So, mm-hmm. so exciting things. Uh, that was a very long-winded answer. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. Well, it's it's good for the audience to know uh, you're you're uh, obviously deeper than you thought background uh, in fencing down to your own uh, family tree, which is fascinating. So, uh, one of the things you said in there, Phil, was a mention of the summer nationals, which uh, for fencing was just this past July in Minneapolis. I know you were there as one of your first official or unofficial roles just going about meeting some of your new constituents. I'm curious what your takeaways were from that event, both, I guess, as an event itself, one of the most important ones for USA Fencing, but also just the feedback you were getting from within the fencing community of where the sport is at right now. Yeah, really positive. You know, I think we've, we've got some work to do in uh, particularly expanding women's fencing. That would struck me very hard uh, showing up in Minneapolis um, I think we've got some opportunities to grow the sport, uh, particularly outside of some of its hub areas, um, New York, New Jersey, California, Texas or Southern Texas and, and so forth. Um, but with that said, you again, I, I got a pretty good impression from the community. It is a very, very large event, um, certainly for anybody who's wearing a, a Fitbit or similar step obmeter, they're going to have a, a, a good time. Pet obmeter, I apologize. Uh, they're going to have a good time with their steps walking around a, a USA Fencing Sign Nationals event. I, I think there's ways we can perhaps work with some of our events partners, and we're just about to embark on a review of our events, not so much in the national level, but our events tree, if you like. I'm looking to reach out to a couple of our sports commission colleagues to be involved in that process and part of that's about you know how do we really make this a really great experience and, and sports commission people see events like fencing has come through the doors of convention centers and unique venues alike week after week and i think it's exciting to be able to bring them into um, how do we think differently about events or how do we think creatively about events in that experience certainly summer nationals is a mammoth fencing event thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming through the doors over eight days nine days and it delivers really outstanding economic impact in some of the cities that host that event phoenix uh, coming up for this next july but and one of the challenges is the sheer size of the event there's only so many convention centers in the country that can host summer nationals and indeed some of our north american cups uh, indeed minneapolis interesting enough has more than enough um mm. space for it but there, there are some surprising cities in the country which just very simply 
don't have enough space for summer nationals in their convention centers. So there's a few challenges there, but I would say more opportunities there than there are challenges. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to get those views in from some of our Sports Commission colleagues on what they see from how we can up the production quality and up the experience level. Because ultimately, I think as NGBs, national governing bodies, and rights holders, we have few opportunities to talk to our membership and our participants, and those happen at events. So it's really important whilst ultimately, yes, for most sports organizations, events do need to contribute on the dollars and cents side, that we really look carefully at how we can make best use of those dollars to deliver a great experience, not only of the event, but of the city is in. Well, it's interesting you mentioned event production, and I realize I certainly recognize that the Olympic Games is on one scale uh, compared to the vast uh, array of events that an NGB like USA Fencing might organize during the year. But, you know, Phil, I've had the like you, I've uh, been privileged enough to be at a, a few Olympic Games. And when people ask me, you know, what's the best sport to watch there? Almost always I turn to fencing uh, for the staging alone of that sport at that level. It is, if you've never seen it, it is just dramatic. You know, it's a, usually a dark room, you know, well lit on the, on the stage. It's uh, it just, you know, oozes drama from it, even if you don't know anything else about the sport. And uh, I, I do wonder, you know, uh, again, that, will be on a different scale, but there's something there just about the the drama of that sport to begin with and the way it's produced at that highest level that is so appealing once once people see it. Yeah, and I think you know getting the creative minds of sports production folks who have worked with things like the Olympic Games is 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 one important element of that. That I'm always impressed when the Olympic Games in particular, but also the Commonwealth Games, Asian Games and related games take the production quality up a notch world championships to some extent too. Uh, the challenge you have with something like Summer Nationals or even a NAC when you've got the NAC North American Cup, when you've got the final stage, which is really what you're talking about, mm-hmm. is getting to that level of production on one fencing strip is different to doing that across, in some cases, over 100 yeah. fencing strips. Even when you've got the final stage um, as a separate entity, you've got to then figure out how do you make recreate that look and feel. Uh, and you're right, the Olympic Games is a phenomenal job of, of the production of, of fencing. And I think I'm going to be biased because of my accent and say I think it was London that did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if it's not, I'll claim it anyway on behalf That's of right. Majesty's Great Britain. Um, and, and so, you know, it, I applaud the, what they did in London to, you know, really find new ways to present fencing. And, and no, to your point, it, it is dramatic. Ultimately, the, the art is to get to 15, and it, it is an easy but complicated sport to understand. But you know, for the layman who's watching it for the first time, and it isn't a, a fencer per se, you know, ultimately, which person gets to 15 points first is, and how to dramatize that is, is really what the Olympics embraced and, and I think did a great job of it. You're right. It's it's great to watch, and um, the two things, like two analogies, I've liked is the fastest sport on earth, which is somewhat true. The arm speed through mm-hmm. a fencer is, I think, rivals any other sport. That's from coming from somebody who worked on snatch. Um, <laughs> that's that, that's that's saying something. And then uh, you know, I, I like the analogy human chess because mm-hmm. uh, there is a lot of strategy involved uh, in that. One one interesting, perhaps, anecdote, there's a chap called Colby Boothman who was involved in Jurassic Park and uh, Star Wars, uh, who grew up as a fencer and is now fencing again. Uh, and he is also a chess player. 
mm-hmm. both at a very high level. Um, and I, I think that's a very interesting crossover between the two. Yeah, I mean, obviously, every NGB, I think, has the same dilemma here when we talk about the the balance between the grassroots and then this highest uh, you know elite level and the highest profile level that we might see at the Olympic Games. As you know, fencing, one of only five sports that's been on every single Olympic program. So it's got the certainly has its Olympic pedigree behind it. But, you know, this is probably not unlike the challenge you had at weightlifting to to an extent but what does what do those opportunities look like for you when now putting on uh, you know your your fencing hat of course what does that look like we've got Paris uh, a couple years down the road but of course the big prize here in, in the US Los Angeles is going to be hosting an Olympic Games down the road that we're all aware of I think all the NGBs are aware of what are those discussions like for you to capitalize on any of that I mean we always see this wave of a sport like fencing suddenly being at the forefront for the casual sports fan. Yeah, so I mean, we're six years out now of, of Los Angeles games, which is, you know, I remember when we were talking about the Boston games, right. um, which is where the bid started. So it, it's it's kind of surreal to be that close in, um, which means you're now starting to see LA start to staff up and what have you. So, you know, to, to your point, I think we have a, a couple of sides to this. One is success on the field of play. The US will be expected to win a medal count for the Olympic Games, which we've done in the Summer Olympics now for uh, five, maybe six games running somebody will correct me on that i'm sure mm-hmm. uh, and we certainly did uh, in the most recent games here in tokyo the pip china uh, by i think one or two medals so that that will be point number one obviously we need to concentrate some efforts around developing our team for 28 as uh, whilst not taking our eye off supporting the team for for paris the other side is the paralympic games where we have not been so successful in the medal count there are 24 medals on offer in the sport mm-hmm. of fencing so there is, I think, a lot of opportunity for 28 and a lot of work to do, particularly in Paralympic fencing. So that there's there's some opportunities being made available by the city of Los Angeles to a lot of NGBs. And, and I've already jumped on LA to, to get in touch with, with the city and, and uh, hope to put some programming into uh, youth in Los Angeles. We're, we're fortunate, too, that the California is our fastest growing state and, and the Los Angeles-San Diego corridor is our fastest growing area. So we have um, hungry individuals in in that area who are willing to be partners with us in growing the sport. Uh, not to Paris too, though. Paris um, is is one of the spiritual homes, if you like, of fencing. Uh, sure. France, um, it's almost a I'd quite say a national sport because nothing beats soccer in France. But it's certainly high up there. We've got a wonderful venue for both fencing and para fencing in Paris, which I think we can build a lot of interest in the sport around what we're able to do in Paris. But you're right, the prize is LA. When I walked through the door I mean, in conversations with the board of USA Fencing, you know, I, I said that was the target. I'm, I'm here for a, a likely a latest to the Los Angeles Games, and, and we'll move on after that. And I think there's a lot of excitement, and there should be, amongst U.S. athletes, U.S. national governing bodies about the L.A. Games. And you know, I think how does that translate into the sports commission and, and events world? Uh, you look at the legacy triathlon that was created by, by USA Triathlon in, mm. in Los Angeles, and you look at how that's been received in, in the Southern California area and how it's been financially successful for USA Triathlon. And I think that provides an interesting model for how NGBs, uh, rights holders, and, uh, and perhaps even non-Olympic NGBs 
and cities, particularly in the Southern California area, can think a little bit creatively about not just existing events being placed there, but also how do, how can we bring in international events into the Southern California area uh, to promote the, the sport ahead of that time and, frankly, give Team USA some home field advantage as they try to qualify and build up to Los Angeles. And in addition, you know, how can we create new events that, that generate interest in sports like fencing or like archery or like table tennis, which are not the headline grabbers usually in the United States in, in places like LA and its surrounding cities? Because, of course, whilst the games say Los Angeles on the tin, they actually are in uh, several different cities and municipalities across uh, Southern California. Yeah. Well, let me uh, take it to the other end of the spectrum. You mentioned you've got 40,000 members or so of USA Fencing. Obviously, very few of them are Olympians or will ever be Olympians. So you've got a, a pretty amazing base here of people at all ages really? who are yeah. participating in, in the sport, at, whether at the competitive level or, or for whatever their interests are. What's your your sense so far, Phil, of, of the landscape there? Are there challenges there? Is it a pretty strong base? Are there opportunities to to grow that and get more interest in, in fencing as an activity and an endeavor? I think so. I mean, we've, you know, we, we're, we've got some green shoots of hope. We've got a really good NCAA program. Uh, we're a dominant is what I was going to use in the in the Ivy League and some of those high end schools, but there's a really good push um, to add schools, um, and it's what rare to in the moment to talk about a sport that's adding schools. Uh, maybe you see that in triathlon, you see that a bit in, in acrobatics and tumbling, a little bit in um, women's wrestling, but you know, we just yesterday I was emailing back and forth with um, with a colleague on on the West Coast about uh, a college adding fencing. Um, and so it's great to be able to have those proactive discussions. That then, I think, feeds down into a need to spend some time on the high school level. There are pockets of high school fencing uh, across the country. There are some great ability to organize on a local level, which is essential when you're trying to persuade a, a high school uh, state federation to, and, and indeed schools themselves, to take on a new sport, especially one like fencing. Just this morning, I was emailing with a colleague in Davis, California, where we found a school district that's going to put fencing to every one of its schools, which is a great piece of, of growth. Fencing has been really good, I think, over the years at managing itself. And, and again, that sees itself pop up in the sports commission world, in, in particular in summer nationals and the North American uh, Cups and so forth. But where it's interesting is that we rely a lot on our local clubs to grow us and i think we need to be more aggressive as an organization in, in helping to grow fencing um, you know we we like a lot of sports are damaged still from covid we have got clubs that didn't reopen their doors fortunately there are others reopening or opening for the first time but i think you know it's up to us to reach out to communities that are not traditional fencing communities we're lucky enough that New Jersey has a really solid high school program that's sanctioned at the high school level. And there are a couple of other states where there are good feeder programs like that. But we don't have a lot of programs across the country. And I sort of mentioned L.A. a moment ago, which really go out there and put a weapon in somebody's hand for the first time, what I call experiential marketing. And, and that's where we need to start moving towards is helping our clubs get weapons into people's hands for the first time and understanding, okay, so there's this fencing thing. And like Jason, I might have seen it at the Olympic Games. I thought that was 
you know, really awesome scene in Cat Holmes' fence and, you know, it's really dramatic or, or whatever they might think. Well, now what do I do? How do I go and find fencing? Uh, how do I go and be a part of this? Or even, you know, you saw sword fighting in a movie or you, you know, saw Star Wars. There's, there's actually a lightsaber league in both France and England. So, uh, Phil, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually going to mention this. I was at the State Games of America in Iowa only a few weeks ago where I saw lightsaber competition for the very first time. I have no idea if USA fencing is uh, sanctioning that end of the sport. I would probably describe it as not fencing, having seen enough fencing, but it was intriguing nonetheless. And I was surprised to see something like that, you know, at a very grassroots level on the program. It was hard to turn away from it once you see it. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it's, 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 I think it's intriguing because you can see somebody get involved in, in the lightsaber side, or, you know, they might, maybe they went to Disneyland and they saw lightsaber fighting for the, the first time. And that's a gatekeeper to, to fencing. And I, I sort of compare it to the situation we had at weightlifting where you could come in via powerlifting or you come in for a crossfit, you're still using a barbell. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the gateway that you might lead through. In order to get to the sport of weightlifting here, the same thing with, with fencing. We don't do anything like that right now, but I don't think it's off the table to consider. Um, so well, maybe we'll see a North American lightsaber cup in time that the USA fencing is offering. I can tell you there's a very active community in Iowa that I'm sure would be uh, happy to uh, engage and, in the and There you go. And it, it, <laughs> it may be that there's some crossover between those two things. Right. Well, speaking of crossover, Phil, I'm curious, you had some very well-publicized challenges at USA Weightlifting at the international level. It's uh, not much of a secret. The challenges that sport is having with issues related to doping and even staying on the Olympic program as a result of it. I'm curious, uh, having gone through some of those battles and, and challenges in your other life here in weightlifting, how that might have steeled you here toward uh, you know, taking on issues at, a, at another governing body. I mean, the issues may be different. I imagine there may be some carryover. Um, you know, certainly when we talk about uh, doping, that's uh, an issue for every sport at every level. But um, just having gone through this experience over the last few years, Phil, how do you think that has prepared you here for what you're taking on here at an entirely different governing body? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have challenges. Every I think every NGB does, and of course, weightlifting is well publicised. We have very different things on our agenda here in, in, in sport of fencing, both internationally and domestically. You know, the the chances of fencing being under threat on the Olympic program are very remote, especially given the president of the IOC is himself a fencer. That's true. Um, so with it, this feels unlikely. Uh, but that's <laughs> uh, our challenges here are, are somewhat more domestic. We have a really good relationship with the FIE, uh, which is the the International Federation for Fencing, uh, and IWAS, which is the the International Federation for for Paralympic Fencing. We are hosting international events in both uh, in, uh, in Daytona Beach and Washington D.C. In, in the next year, indeed. So mm-hmm. we have a, a member of the executive board, our, our former president, Delanthe Jr., uh, who's also uh, up at Ohio State, who's who's involved in in, in the leadership of the FIE too. Uh, that's not to say the FIE, you know, hasn't got its challenges itself. Uh, but they're certainly not the biggest. Um, you know, we've we've had some well publicised issues in in fencing, unfortunately, to do with uh, athlete abuse. We've also had some issues to do with our governance structure, and those I think are two that are probably the forefront of the mind. 
We have to rebuild trust in the organization, trust in, um, in, in our sport, I think, with some of our membership and rebuild the ability to trust fencing when you when you come into it. And, you know, they, the, not unlike other NGBs, we've got some challenges in, in making sure that fencing is ultimately a safe community, that it is well understood that our organization will be aggressive in stamping out, not just abuse, but quite frankly, the cultural norms that, that lead to the ability to abuse. And then I think there's similar challenges in our diversity and inclusion area. Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, we're a really diverse sport, but in others, we are not. So we have a very large Asian American community, which we're very proud of. But at the same time, we need to increase the number of women in our sport, particularly in our coaching and, and officiating ranks. We need to uh, increase the number of women who are opening clubs and, and running those clubs. We've done a good job of including uh, women in, in both our employment and our governance structure, but that certainly needs to carry over into some broader areas. Similar, uh, people of color. We have got some really great programs, particularly the Peter Westbrook Foundation up in New York City, who have done an amazing job at, at growing our sporting communities that are, are not traditional for fencing. Uh, fencing's traditional home is in the Ivy League schools and feeders into those Ivy League schools. Nothing wrong with that, but we do have challenges to make sure that the sport of fencing is offered throughout the country into different communities. And, and the Peter Westbrook Foundation mm-hmm. provides a really good blueprint to be able to do that. So th- those are a few of the challenges which you know, are more challenging to talk about, quite honestly, than sporting challenges are. They're cultural yeah. challenges. What are some of those barriers, Phil, for fencing? And when we talk about getting it into more, say, school programs, is it an equipment issue? Is it an instructor issue? What, what do you think that barrier is or what those challenges are going to be? Uh, so today we announced a refurbishment program with, with our colleagues at Absolute Fencing to, to help the equipment issue. There is a cost issue. To some degree, we, we need to make an improvement to the way we do local events so that your first fencing event, on occasion, we have people who are flying across the country to a Minneapolis, we have a NAC, our North American Cup in Minneapolis in October, as their first event, which is good in some ways, but also if you think about the experience, you know, you're a 14-year-old fencer and you're showing up and getting beaten 15-0 by a very experienced fencer in your first competition, mm-hmm. and you spent a lot of money to get there. So, you know, it's very important, I think, to look at our local events and to a degree our regional events, which are very strong, and see what we can do to, to really increase the presence of those local events and the accessibility. But, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a number of things. It's exposure to the, the sport of fencing because it has uh, had its traditions in, in more affluent communities. It's affordability and it's access. You know, we, we have, I think, some very passionate trustees in our foundation now. We've got the right people in the right seats on the foundation and looking to have more who can help address some of those challenges. We're not particularly good at retaining some of our alumni in our sport, into the sport. And there's a few reasons for that. We, we don't have a strong alumni program as one, certainly. Um, we need to make an effort there. But at the same time, there's large benefits to having strong Ivy League level programs 
But on the other hand, you're competing against people coming out of Columbia with an MBA right. um, who are being recruited into some of the very top organizations in the country. So, you know, it's, it's uh, should I go and open a fencing club? And uh, I might be very passionate about that. Or should I go and feed my family? It's a pretty easy discussion to have mm-hmm. when you're looking post uh, high level athletics. So, you know, again, there's there's barriers to, to remove, and I don't know what all of those barriers look like yet. I know what some of them look like. And I think that's really important for us to address the cultural issues that are causing both the negative areas that we've talked about, but also preventing new people from coming into our sport. Those are two different cultural challenges. But yeah. uh, notice how I haven't talked a lot about our need to increase our performances at the elite level because our elite team actually does really well. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got a nice track record there. We have, you know, in, in, in the last 15 or so years, fencing, uh, US fencing has been in the conversation as one of the top programs in the world, together with France, Italy, Germany, and some of the Eastern European states. And, and, and whilst I am sure there's always ways we can improve that. It's not the massive need that we have here. Our biggest need is to bring our community together again, to rebuild trust and to open up our sport to new frontiers. Well, in the time we have left here, Phil, what do the next couple of weeks and months look like for you? I mean, what's your uh, what's your game plan here to get out to the greater fencing community? I imagine you have uh, quite a few constituents and groups that uh, that you're still looking to meet and, and get some feedback from. Yeah, that's right. So I'm heading out on a club listening tour, which is much more travel than I, if I'm honest, I'd, I'd like to see. So, uh, you know, I've already got time booked in in New York, New Jersey area, which is our sort of spiritual home in the U.S. It's, it's the hub. Uh, I'll be with uh, M Team, which is uh, the the head coach of our foil team, and then our, our world number one, Lee Kiefer, gold medalist in the Olympic Games. She'll be in uh, San Francisco that day. So uh, visiting a couple of other uh, more grassroots based clubs there too. I'm visiting with San Diego, LA. We mentioned LA several times here. It will be no surprise. I prioritize getting out there, and then I'll be in Houston, Atlanta, Columbus, and Boston on that listening tour as well followed by of course on our north american cup series uh this year uh, salt lake minneapolis uh st louis denver which is nice because uh, i don't have to travel for it uh, right. and then summer nationals of course in phoenix uh and louisville louisville i apologize i missed louisville so it's it's a very very packed schedule already um I say so you need like a concert tour T-shirt with all those dates on it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know, the idea is, um, you know, and even with those North American Cup stops, we'll be looking to interact with the local community, both fencing and non-fencing, as much as we can. But part of that is just getting immersed in the sport quickly, learning from not only the the elite folks like a uh, uh, Greg Masialis and and his team at M Team, but also the the grassroots team that's burrowing space and has eleven fences. Those people are both members of USA Fencing. Both are showing up to our events. Both are part of our community. And so that's the really important thing. I, I am hoping after that, our, our travel dies, dies down a little bit before you even get started on teams or NGB best practices or other events like that, that, that one needs to show up at. Well, uh, I'm sure the community will be seeing you out and about. We certainly hope that we see you. As well, Phil, I want to thank you for taking the time out to chat with us. And as we said at the at the front end, just wish you the best of luck in this endeavor with USA Fencing. Uh, we've been uh, following you during your career at, at weightlifting. I've always been impressed and uh, are excited to see what you can do uh, in new offices and with a new sport. So um, good luck to you and and the team, Phil. And uh, we'll be we'll be watching you closely. Thank you so much, my friend. 
This has been another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewurz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.